Welcome to season three of the Outstanding Women Leaders Witty and Wise Conversations. I'm your host, Katie L. Eads, leadership and relationship coach by day, comedian and writer by night. I'm on a mission to host 100 million witty and wise conversations that disrupt the way leaders think and the way the world lives in relationship to each other. It's time to start connecting our left and right brain to our loving hearts and start listening to what they have to say. The brain will want to continue on the path previously traveled. It feels safe there. The heart sometimes barely has a path to follow, allowing passion and purpose to dictate the way. Get ready to disrupt business as usual in your brain and get ready to start following your heart. <clears throat> Listen, it's calling for you. My heart is always calling for me to dance in conversation, to feel the rhythm and vibrations of the conversations ebb and flow as we exchange energies, wit, and wisdom. My brain is interjecting, though, really quickly to invite you to check out allprofessionalcoaching.com backslash podcast for more episodes and to head over to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and write us a quick review. You can also find me on the gram or FB at allprofessionalcoaching or outstanding women leaders. We have four rules today to guide our wit and wisdom exchange. These rules are inspired by the Coactive Training Institute to create space for powerful connection and authenticity. Rule number one. Nobody gets to be wrong. Rule number two, nobody gets to be right. Rule number three, everybody gets to be vulnerable. Rule number four, everything is included, including my voice right now. I don't know what's going on. I did just go for a run. <laughs> um, if your child walks in, the phone rings, a dog comes in, it's included in the podcast. We do not edit here. This conversation is exactly what it needs to be in this moment in time. We've asked our guests to join us via video to allow us to create authentic connection. Eyes are the window to the soul. You will be seen here. You will be heard. There is space for you. When this conversation comes to a close, I will ask our guests three questions. If you've tuned in before, you know what they are. <clears throat> if you haven't, you don't want to miss them. And for season three, I'm going to be pulling a wild card, a powerful question, seven words or less to ask. And I don't know what it is. And neither does our guest. And speaking of our guests, I'm really excited today <clears throat> to have Khadijah Pugh. She is a very special guest. She's one of only two students that I ever visited at college. And the other student was her roommate. I had the pleasure of teaching her on the south side of Chicago. I had her brother my first year and her my second. Uh, I just found out Khadijah is a very family-oriented person coming from a family of six. So I did not realize there were so many uh, Khadija was a brilliant student when I had her. I really enjoyed having her in class, hence why we kept in contact. And uh, as fate would happen, Khadija ended up leaving college her senior year. And is it senior year? No, it was my sophomore year. Your sophomore year. Uh, Khadija ended up leaving her sophomore year after her brother was murdered to come back to her family. Khadija then chose a completely different path and joined the military and had the opportunity to travel around the world. Khadija has been deployed twice, soaking up every moment, going over to Italy, Romania, Africa, Ukraine, Dubai, Oman, India, Jordan, Portugal, Transylvania, which was really fun for us to talk to, just to name a few. Um, she's made a career out of it. I love that she's joined us today, um, coming right off of work, wearing her work attire. <laughs> And Khadija is just a delight. You'll get to get to know her story. And I am in awe of you. Um, to be able to connect with students is my favorite part of being a teacher. But I'm in an awe of your life and just what you have created and where you're going, your love of travel, what you've seen. 
So welcome. I can't wait to share your story with everybody. Thank you. Thank you for the warm welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Um, th thank you for all the listeners out there uh, listening to my story and uh, everything that I have to uh, add to what you're doing here. I really appreciate what you're doing and I really appreciate you for having me. That's what I remember about you from school is that you always appreciated everything. Um, <laughs> and your smile lights up a room. <clears throat> and I think we talked about this when we were on the phone, but I remember you working on ACT questions. I can't remember if this was you. And there was, you got a pretty high score on your ACT, as I recall. I did, I did. I, it was always in reading. You always admired my reading score. <laughs> Were you like a 34, 35? It was something amazing. It was pretty high in reading. It was. It was. And I will never forget, as you're sitting there looking at the stuff you missed, because we did a lot of practice testing, and you were like, juxtaposition, what does this mean? Do you remember this? <laughs> I don't remember the exact moment. And you, I remember you looking it up because as a teacher, I wasn't ever telling answers. And sometimes I didn't even know them. And you're like, how am I supposed to know these words? <laughs> <laughs> you were just so much fun. And I loved your thirst for knowledge. And rem I remember being so sad for you when you had to leave college. Yeah. And it's just sad that you didn't get the choice and that this was something awful that, that you had to experience in your life. And also just the reality that, I mean, I look at how many students I have lost to gang violence and uh, the list I know of is now 19. And I, that's only the kids that I still know. Yes, it's definitely a harsh reality, um, especially as a, a, a young woman to go through something like that. Um, uh, Cause I did definitely have that still, I still do have that. Um, thirst for knowledge and the willingness to learn. So when you're experiencing a culture shock, such as college coming from a place where I come, where I came from, uh, it was definitely an eye-opening experience. But uh, the trauma uh, behind dealing with my brother's death was definitely um, a shocking um, experience. And it took some time to definitely recover from that. And that's how I ended up choosing probably a completely different track in the process of healing. Yeah. And I coach people as they rewrite their story and I've rewritten my story a few times and some of them have felt very traumatic. And so it's just inspiring to, to watch you from afar and to see everything that you've done. Uh, for our young listeners out there, what advice or what tips do you have for how you get through? Um, I would just say when I was younger, I wanted to to get through, I would literally try to become the person that I needed at that time. And I think that's what my focus and uh, hard work went into, was just becoming a person that I needed. So in the future that I would be able to comfort somebody else going through the same thing. Because I didn't want to fester in the uh, trauma or continue to relive a horrible experience. So. Of course, I know it's cliche, but time does heal all things. But remember uh, to work towards being that person that you needed at that time. Mm. You're so wise. <laughs> <laughs> I hung on to the thought. It's what brings you through. It's literally what will bring you through. Hanging on to those positive thoughts. Absolutely. And becoming, focusing on who you want to be, to be the person that you need yourself to be, is so forward thinking. It's not 
sitting in the moment. It's taking what you've been given and creating from it. And it's incredibly inspiring to hear you talk about it. Yes, it definitely is. Um, it, it was hard work, but um, looking back, I definitely don't regret any of the decisions that I've made. I think uh, all of that has, you know, made me become the person that I am today. It's definitely unfortunate, the violence that some communities do experience and everything that pretty much comes with that. But um, you can be the change. You can be that difference for yourself and for others because all of the changes that I've made and everything that I've worked towards, you know, other people are experiencing exactly what I've gone through as far as the violence, the poverty, and the um, just growing up in uh, a neighborhood with not as much, not as many resources. Um, they're looking up to you. You know, you're an, a walking example. So it makes a difference. That representation definitely does matter. Yeah, and now you're back in Chicago. And are you are you still on the south side or are you living somewhere else? No, I live in North Chicago, actually. I'm in uh, Gurney. In Gurney. Yeah. So I'm still very close to the uh, to the south side, still near and dear in my heart. <laughs> yeah. What perspective is has changed for you on the neighborhood you grew up in and the school that you went to? When you look back, what do you think about? When I look back on the neighborhood, um, not much has changed. Even then, I viewed it as something that felt like a trap. You know, I felt like it was nothing there. Uh, when I went to school, I had little things to hold on to. You have no idea walking into your classroom and seeing your bright face and that, and you know, just that smile and how excited the environment that you created there. You as well as other teachers, you have no idea what that means to uh, children growing up on the South Side like myself. Um, so it definitely is, uh, it, it definitely has a negative connotation attached to it when I think about the neighborhood that I grew up in. It's not a good thing. And I know a lot of people, including myself, are working to change things and be that inspiration, but there's not a lot there. It's very low on resources as far as education, as far as uh, community services and things of that nature. So it's, it's truly is heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, I get a little uncomfortable when you talk about me being that shining light because I have to say when I think back to my time at Longwood, I forget about those moments sometimes and I think about how I just wasn't, I was, we were taking tests all the time and I feel like the, like my superpowers of what I really could have offered you guys as students uh, were stifled a little and that's a story I've written many times for myself. I. And I think part of that is the sadness I see with, with students that are murdered on the South side that I taught knowing, man, did I really need to bust their ass that day? Like, did I really need to give the lecture um, to Marissa that I like stands out in my mind about college when she was gunned down before she had a chance to, you know, graduate. So that for me has been hard. And I think it, coming from the outside also feeling like, well, am I really what you guys want to look at? Am I really what you guys want to hear? So it's, it's lovely to hear the other side of that. But I also think about all the kids that are still there yeah. and, um, and how I wasn't what they needed. So that's always where I go to. It's like, you, oh, I want to help all of them. And you and Julia were always hanging out in my uh, classroom. So as much as you felt like I was that joy for you, 
uh, you guys were that joy for me because it, there were a lot of students that I wasn't necessarily who they wanted to connect with. And so you guys were just so, you made the hard moments worth it and joyful. I'm happy that we can do that. <laughs> I, I understand uh, where you're coming from. I, I know that you can't reach everybody, but I do, I don't want you to uh, harp on it as hard uh, because you, you did, you touched quite a few of us, you did. You won't be able to reach everyone, but um, those little moments did matter. Yeah, and it's been great to reconnect with you guys and just hear like Lene was on and she said that she just has nightmares still about my AP class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's great. You couldn't say nightmares, but it was a lot of information to cover. <laughs> I mean, it was so much. You guys had to take the yeah. test. Uh, it was a it lot. Was a but you it guys had fun. Yeah, we made it fun. We made it work for us. It, it was a good time. <laughs> So what helped you decide to go into the military? Um, education. Um, I've always sought out, you know, furthering my education. And so when I was uh, at Illinois State, um, it was quite expensive. I was racking up uh, student loans and things of that nature. And so I wanted to return to school. I didn't want to stay in Chicago and uh, stay in the same neighborhood and experience the exact same things that I had always been around or uh, been uh, exposed to. So um, the free education is what led me to the military. And it has uh, been exactly what I thought it would be. Um, every class that I've taken since I've joined has been at the expense of the military. So it pretty much it has worked out, which is a great feeling. Back to that wisdom again. Not only do you focus on <laughs> becoming who you need to be, you also see the opportunity. Yeah. Time waits for no one. So I tried to seize every opportunity that, that I could to uh, experience more, to continue to grow and learn. So, you know, these are the things that all of, you know, that you and all of my other teachers taught me. Mm. So. I I've really enjoyed watching a lot of you guys travel and do experience things that I didn't get a chance to do. And when I think about my own community, um, a lot more resources, but something where when I go back home and visit, I relate to feeling very like stuck and stifled. That wasn't the environment for me. Um, how has traveling changed your perspective, like opened up your eyes to new things, changed what you want to do? Um, traveling has completely changed my perspective, not only of the world, but people, people in general, cultures, uh, different, you know, enclaves of people and how they interact with one another. It's, it's amazing. Uh, reading a book or, you know, just because I would often read books to just extend myself beyond my circumstances or, you know, try to watch TV to see how uh, other people live. But traveling, it's experiencing those things in the raw has completely changed who I am as a person. Other cultures have certain beliefs and standards that you, you won't always get to experience here in the U.S. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. If I, if I have the chance to live overseas, you know, I'll take it in a, in a second because it's, it's a beautiful experience and it completely changes your mindset. It pretty much just opens up your mind, which I, it's, Coming from where I come from, such a small and humble upbringing, it's something that I truly did appreciate. 
I relate to that when I think about teaching on the South side <clears throat> and getting and teaching on the North side. There was 28 countries represented that was a way that I was able to experience so much culture and learn from my students. That's what I loved about being a teacher. What lessons have you learned from other cultures that people should just know? Um, kindness, <laughs> kindness, traveling to other uh, cultures such as uh, Japan, Japan for one, uh, they, they instill certain, certain qualities in children from such a young age, such as uh, ownership, responsibility, uh, cleanliness, kindness. Everyone is so kind and polite and clean. And it's just, it's the standard. It's what, it's like a cultural norm that everyone just pretty much follows. And I, I loved it. Uh, different diversity. When I traveled, when I went to Lisbon, Portugal, you know, in my mind, being so, you know, uh, just at the time, ignorant to just different cultures, I thought Portugal's uh, Portuguese people were of Spanish descent or, you know, I went to uh, Portugal and they were different races. There were African-American people who identified as Portuguese because that's their nationality. You know, and it, it's just, it's such a simple concept, but it's just the things that you don't know until you learn them. So experiencing uh, the food, the culture, the people, it was absolutely amazing. The diversity, I loved it. Certain parts of the world are so diverse and then other parts are, aren't diverse at all, like uh, Transylvania. <laughs> they had never seen or experienced being around African-American people. So I can almost imagine the, the shock but it was greeted with the ultimate, you know, care and just, uh, just kindness, overall kindness. Mm. You know, it's something that you're not used to because I was raised here in the U.S. Uh, I would think such a uh, experience like that would shock and be greeted with, you know, almost hatred or uh, different feelings. But it was such a warm moment. You know, I met an older woman in Transylvania who had never met an African-American in her life. And she, she said, I was beautiful. And that moment just gave me so much hope. It did. It did. It really did. I love that lesson of kindness. Uh, when you, I'm just going to bring it back a little bit to the South Side. Like when you think about the community and what does that community mean? And now that you've traveled to all these different places, if you could wave a magic wand and bring some stuff back to the community, what would you bring? I would definitely bring that kindness and overall healing. What the community needs is healing. Um, the, the younger generation doesn't have the resources um, such as coaching, such as therapy, and those different resources to heal from the trauma and the things that they're experiencing. So moving forward, it's just a continuous, a continuous cycle. And it's heartbreaking. It's literally heartbreaking when I think about the Arbor and Gresham community that I was raised in and what the culture is like there for everyone. The, when I, even when I go travel back to the South Side, the overall aura there is just not the same. So I would hope that there will be something there for them in the future to teach that healing and kindness and bring them to a point where they are content and finding peace. Yeah. 
I think about the one counselor that your entire school had. <laughs> uh, when you talk about like trauma, um, the kids growing up in the neighborhood that you are lived in are experiencing trauma. They are. And that does require a lot of healing. So when we talk about resources, I hear a lot of people like, the test scores are low. That's what I heard a lot in education. We, they, we will rate whether or not they're doing well by these scores, which for me, I'm like, but, but they don't need that. <laughs> you don't need a good score to be a whole person. Um, and to expect someone who may get mugged on their, on their way to school or who may get shot and die on their way home from school, to expect them to just turn that off and every day and kick ass on a test is ridiculous yeah uh, I, I totally agree there there are a lot of outside barriers that the children there are experiencing I, I know firsthand from coming to school and some days when you come to school you're not in the mindset where you're even physically or mentally ready to learn and if you're not ready to learn then you won't be motivated and if you don't have that overall motivation you won't excel so I understand the challenges when you explained earlier how you felt and uh, you felt that maybe that's not what we needed that day. And I totally agree because until we address the outside barriers and those issues within the communities, how can we expect these kids to excel? Yeah. It's, it, it's so saddening. It, it, makes me, uh, it makes me really sad. I, I don't know what gave me the... Uh, inner drive and that I think it's just being surrounded by uh, leaders and seeing people uh, and understanding what I wanted to be for myself kind of brought me out of that environment and brought me beyond my circumstances but that's not always the case for everyone yeah that's why I've been so inspired by you is so I taught your brother and the my first year there and he was arrested for something he didn't do and um, one of our teachers, Mr. McNutt, went and, and spoke on his behalf to the judge. And um, so your family has had some struggles as well, and you've decided to go a different path. How, what, what just said, yeah, we're doing something different? How does that work for you? And how do you walk that tightrope of having family members who are putting themselves in danger? Um, it's definitely, um, it's just, it's hard. <laughs> you can't sugarcoat it in any way. It, it's definitely hard because when you're uh, aspiring to uh, do something uh, greater than just yourself or be a part of something greater than just yourself and you're uh, chasing after those ambitions and your dreams, but on the other end, you are, you feel forever tied to people who have fallen victim to our our environment it's definitely hard it's a daily challenge to remain balanced and to continue to move forward but in the right direction i just remind myself every day to uh, do the right thing continue to do the right thing always and you'll be fine it's definitely um it's a struggle so it's a struggle because there aren't very many especially in my family there aren't very many Roma probably can count on one hand of those of us who have made it out and actually um, chased our dreams and done better for ourselves. So it's definitely hard, but I just 
hope that for the younger generation, especially in my family, that I can be a source of inspiration and a helping hand. Yeah. If you were to provide support for this younger generation in schools, like what would you recommend that we need? Um, in schools, definitely I would say uh, coaching and therapy, counseling services. There should not be one uh, counselor in one school. That's just completely unacceptable. Um, it wasn't until I joined the military that I met people from all different nationalities and backgrounds and upbringings where I realized some schools have actual school psychologists assigned to them, you know? And so I just think that's completely unacceptable that we don't have those same resources because those are the things where you are able to cope and work through your problems. One thing that, um, especially um, as a younger person, I've gone through certain experiences. For example, my brother passed. And the reason why I couldn't continue on through school is because I was never taught to cope or to manage my problems or to manage trauma or to not really manage, but actively cope and get through it, work through it. And so until you learn, luckily I was able to learn those things a little bit later uh, in life and not too late, but this is the reason why these kids are not excelling. They have no idea how to cope, how to manage their feelings or how to, their emotions, how to move forward. They need the resources, the therapy, the coaching, the counseling, it has to happen. <clears throat> Thank you for, some, for sharing these insights because <clears throat> I have always wondered like, what should I have done or what could we do if I were to start this a school like what how could I be better and not just be part of the problem and that starts by asking the kids um, the kids that are a product of the system and then the kids that are in the system to hear you talk about the healing that needs to occur I can't think of one initiative that's happening right now and that may be because I just don't I'm not aware but one initiative that is a school that says we are going to provide every single kid with weekly counseling or, or monthly counseling, my goodness, something. Something. Um, I think anything in that direction would be a good start. You know, whether it's uh, volunteer work as uh, counseling services or anything, because it's not something that necessarily needs to be uh, pushed on the kids, but it should be an available option. And I think eventually uh, if enough people uh, reach out, the kids would eventually start to come around and use those resources available. But if they're not available, they have nowhere to go. And for the African-American community, I think there is also just a struggle with mental um, health as well. Like it's not something that is talked about as often or is sought out. And part of that is circumstances of money. Like people with money get therapists. People with money get coaches. Um, whenever I think about equity in it, it for schools, like the, not the separate, but equal, but the actual like equal and equitable things, that's one of those that is reserved for people with cash. I didn't get access to therapy until a year after my divorce, where I decided, even though this is a huge stretch, I'm going to make this investment because I need it. Did you have access to counseling or therapy? Like what have you done to help with you healing your own trauma? Um, so immediately uh, following my brother's death, um, Illinois State actually offered counseling. Uh, 
they were they were doing everything that they could to help because they could see that what I was going through and that I would not be able to. Yeah. And uh, cool. you're talking about, so just to clarify for people listening, so Illinois State University. Mm-hmm. Illinois State University uh, enrolled me in uh, therapy, pretty much, and so it helped somewhat, but um, I, I think the trauma was just too great. And what I needed was to be around my family. And then in the military, uh, once again, I continued on with uh, therapy sessions to help heal. And just because honestly, at that point, I made the decision that just because you are, I was so far removed from the issues uh, in my life. I was so far removed from the environment and everything that was creating that uh, trauma and those feelings for me. But that didn't necessarily mean that they weren't there. They just, I was just so far removed. So I decided that I needed to continue on with therapy to become a better person and to be at peace with myself because as long as I continued on and just, you know, with routine business, working and going to school, um, that just, that wasn't enough. I wanted to be at peace. And actually work through some of those issues caused by growing up in Auburn Gresham, growing up surrounded by violence, surrounded by poverty and drugs and everything of that nature. So it definitely did help. Um, That's why I I really wish those resources were available to the children growing up because if it wasn't, and that was at the expense of the military. So in both scenarios, I did not have to pay for the services that I've received so, and they have helped a great deal because you can't manage everything on your own you know? and you don't have to and that's something that everybody should know you don't have to you don't have to always fight every battle alone you are so <laughs> I wish I knew all the things that you know at 27 I would be Right where I'm supposed to be, which is here. Um, it has definitely been a struggle. It has been a struggle getting to this point. And I'm still not done yet. Still not done. So still. Yeah. What's still next for you? Uh, what was that? What's next for you? Um, what's next for me? I plan on continuing to travel the world, continuing on with uh, my military uh, career. Uh, I want to... Right now, I am working on becoming a nurse in the Navy. So I am continuing on with my education, and I hope one day to commission and become an officer in the United States Navy. But I also would like to do more for the community. So I have to think of where, I've I've been a sexual assault victim advocate for many years now, and so I've been been able to do a little bit there as far as uh, being an advocate and being there for individuals in need, but as far as for the kids that look like me and the kids who have grown up going through the the same struggles that I have, I want to become a little bit more involved in the community. That's why I'm glad that I was able to uh, come away from sea for a little bit and come to shore duty and be close to home. So maybe there's something that I can do and get a little bit more involved in. Mm, I want to support whatever you're doing. So keep me in the loop because Mental health is something I'm a huge advocate for, and particularly with coaching to people's strengths. I think oftentimes we look at mental health and trauma, and we feel bad for people, and we want to put these labels on people and put them in this box. And 
instead of saying, look at these strengths, look, look at how creative and resourceful and what you can do to work through these things. So I would, recovery is always an option is a phrase that I'm starting to really like about mental health as people think about depression and healing these deep traumas they've had for a long time. You can recover at any age. I've met some pretty amazing people that have done so. So whatever you're doing, I want to be a part of. I want to support it. You, I, I'm just so inspired. My God. <laughs> the wisdom. Thank you. Um, you're just, you, mm, it's just incredible to hear you talk. I want to know about Transylvania for our listeners that don't marry. <laughs> Let's talk about Transylvania for a minute. Did you meet any vampires? I didn't meet any vampires, but I did visit Dracula's castle. It was quite a drive. Uh, it was in a very uh, rural area and it was large, spacious. It was humongous. It was, it literally took maybe about, it was hmm, a six hour tour of just walking around and being taught about the different rooms and the different things that were there customs and things of that nature. It was definitely a little scary, so I was excited to be in a large group. <laughs> but it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I would have never believed that I would be inside of any castle, let alone Dracula's castle. So mm. That was exciting. Yeah. What inspiring words do you have for kids listening right now, if any kids are listening, I don't think they are, but if a kid was to listen to this and you know, they're living in this similar neighborhood or similar situation, or maybe they're an adult now, um, what, what inspiration do you have for them? I would tell them to, again, be the person that you need. You can become the person that you needed when you were going through your lowest of low. Okay. So dream big. Okay. Dream with ambition. Right. Where do they? Start? Where would you tell them to start? I would tell them to start with hard work and education. Whether you're working a job at McDonald's or you're a professional, you work hard and you be excellent at whatever you're currently doing until you get to where you want to be. You know. You're so It's it's a. I've been through a lot of humbling experiences in life, so. I can never be too big or feel too small in a room full of giants. So going forward, just be humble and work hard. Work hard. Hard work will never fail you. I love this. Okay. And here you are at 27. I didn't hear you mention boys once. <laughs> I know you have a I love job. That. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, I have not mentioned the boys. I'm trying to stay focused and just stay focused on getting uh, further ahead in my career and uh, further in my education. I know that the right man will come along in due time. But if you focus on, I tell myself all the time, focus on your priorities, right? Continue to grow and eventually somebody will come along and maybe you can continue to grow together. Mm. But oh, it, wow. will never, it will never be my primary focus. I try not to focus on finding a man. So correct man will find me. When the time you hear that, ladies? The yeah. correct man will find you. He will find you. So don't worry. You. I mean, attention <laughs> to them because that's what they do. They're just a bunch of peacocks out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do like your feathers. They're going to make sure that you know yeah, there are plenty out there, so you just don't rush it, you know. 
so don't rush it. I, I think it's like it can often be updated um, in the past, and I think it it can become a distraction when you're very young and you're not in the mature mindset to uh, develop a relationship. You barely know what you want to do with your life versus uh, starting a life together with somebody else. So. Oh my gosh, you are so wise. Anyone listening to this, by the way, there's 40-year-olds that need to listen to this too, and 50-year-olds, uh, what you have to say there. Um, any other words of wisdom that you want to leave our guests with today? You are so wise. I would just say, of course, dream with ambition, right? Dream big, dream with ambition, right? And lead, be a leader, lead with conviction in your heart, okay? Do great things, you know? I hope that, you know, this conversation and what we've talked a bit about today has been a source of inspiration for at least one person out there, and that'll be good enough for me. Love that. So I have my questions I always ask, and this is a part of the show that I usually let guests promote their business or whatever they're doing. Um, do you have an insp inspirational Instagram you want people to follow you on, or are you good? No, I don't, I don't really <laughs> <laughs> have an Instagram for, for those purposes, no. Love it. Um, before I ask you these questions, I'm going to ask a bonus question because I want to know. Favorite Miss Eid story? Um, favorite Miss story. There are so many. Oh my God. I was like attached to your hip in the 11th, in the 11th grade. So if, let's see, mm, there are just too many to name, literally. Miss Eats was just always a source of inspiration, especially for, for young girls, just showing up every day, bright and bubbly and just, you know, making us believe that we needed the information in those textbooks. <laughs> you know, she was very convincing, I might add, but um, just every day, every day with you in the 11th grade made a difference. There are too many instances to, to just point out one. I'm totally crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think, I think one of my favorite moments with you guys is, was coming to visit you at college and just seeing you guys be mini adults in your space and just doing it, going to college, living your life, um, and, and also just adjusting to like all the rural white kids that, yeah, that, was a shock. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a shock. I was just like, I remember calling you when we got there, like, Miss Eats, I can't believe this. Like, everyone was literally white, and that was okay. You know, that was, it was okay. It's what we needed to experience, but I was happy that you always believed that we would do it. You told us from the beginning that I can picture you all, I'll never forget that, you know, strolling through campus with your Starbucks gold car. <laughs> So, and there we were uh, a few years later, strolling through campus and actually doing it and still out in life doing it. So, thank you. <laughs> These were so much fun. I thank you for this conversation. This has helped me read a little bit of the story I've told myself. Because uh, you never think it's enough and you always want to do better. Uh, I think I beat myself up a lot about my first year teaching there where, um, you know, the copiers didn't work. And <laughs> 
And then the ceiling in the copy machine room collapsed and rained <laughs> for all of them and just all of the hardships. And, um, but and you guys were why I stayed. Um, you were definitely not the push out the door. Um, that was the white man that was in charge of school. <laughs> Uh, oh, I have a bonus question. Bonus question number two, because now I'm curious. Uh, what was the biggest culture shock about all the rural white kids? Um, the biggest culture shock had to be just, uh, it was everything. It was from the music to the food to just, uh, just overall interest. The cultures were left field and right field. They were completely different. But what I actually loved, my roommates my freshman year were one was Italian and one was white. And we still talk to this day and we got along just fine. And it made it showed me that it's okay to be from different cultures and different backgrounds and have different upbringings. Because it's that diversity that makes everything so much more authentic. Like I love them and I still talk to them to this day. So it, it was literally everything was a shock. I had no idea how humble my beginnings were <laughs> until I got around those kids. And it was just like, but they were very accepting and just warm. It was a good, it was the first experience of a long line to come, but um, I appreciated it. It was, it was what I needed at the time because coming from Auburn Gresham, I would have never imagined that there was a different world out there. My entire mindset was restricted by probably a 20 block radius. So. Yeah. And for people listening, your minds are restricted by whatever block radius that you're in. Mine were restricted when, of where I grew up. And I was that rural kid um, that <laughs> Chicago. Um, and yeah, we had, we had diversity at my school. So um, like my hometown is, I think, 20% Hispanic. So High school definitely had a mix of people, um, but coming into Southside Chicago for me was a huge culture shock. It was, you're right, the music, the food, like <laughs> <laughs> all the things, you know, the things that are supposed to like get, you know, the get rural white teachers feathers ruffled for you guys is like Tuesday and it's totally <laughs> and, um And I also felt the same way. Like, there's I have to admit, you walked in there with the, perk, the poker face. I would not have thought that that was your first or second year teaching. Well, it wasn't you my know. first year teaching because I taught in the south side or the north side of Chicago. Okay. And uh, the reason I chose south side was about 30% of my kids were coming from the south side and I really connected with them. And I, we were so diverse that history class was really fun to, because a lot of them had, they were immigrants for first or second generation, in addition to these 30% of these kids that were coming over from the South side. So you got to hear a lot of different perspectives on history. So I had a toolkit walking in. And, um, but for, it was, it's a different ball game. When you walk into a room on the South side of Chicago, where it's, everyone is experiencing the same thing. And I think that's true of white America as well in rural areas. Cause that was the third school I taught at where when everyone is experiencing the same thing, it actually can make it harder to teach. And you yeah. all have the same perspective. You all have the same experiences. Um, <clears throat> and for me, right. White rural America was much harder. I, I left Chicago, went there and all of their experiences were, well, it was an election year. 
and Obama was on the ballot because he was running for office and people had questions about <laughs> why he was on the ballot and um, like second year. And um, <clears throat> as I would help them write, because you know I always made you guys write all the time. Yeah. They all had the same perspective, which was fine, but they didn't have supporting details. And that was always a thing in history. If you have to support your argument. <laughs> oh, that word. Supporting <laughs> details. Yep. The details. Lene <laughs> still has nightmares. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. That, that word brings uh, a little nightmare. You know, supporting details. <laughs> but you can't have a debate about history and interpretations if you don't have different opinions. And so I would have to represent that different opinion in that room. And that made it very challenging. So... I it was not my first year teaching per se, but it was definitely a, a culture shock. Uh, I'm, I, I went in very much like I picture a math teacher whose name I won't say, who came in like very blonde hair, blue eyed and bushy tailed, like I'm ready to, you know, <laughs> world on fire. I was as well having no idea that your realities were just nothing I could possibly fathom until I immersed myself in it and really understood it. And I think that's true of all cultures. And you've had that experience around the world and it's changed your views. It definitely has. It's, it's changed me as a person. So uh, I, am, I really am truly thankful for my experiences thus far. And I'm really excited for what the future will bring. I can't wait to watch it. I hope I get to be a part of it. <laughs> and I now have my three questions. So first question is, what's your superpower? Um, my superpower, I would say that is maybe leadership. I just think overall helping people, motivating them beyond my influence. You know, I think people truly have a calling and leadership to me isn't, you know, the textbook definition. If I can help a person uh, dream more and do more and become more, then I'm con more than content. I'm happy. So I would say my superpower is leadership. Leadership. And so what's your purpose with your leadership? To... You know, I would say my purpose would be to help people build on their own strength, right? Overall empowerment. Yes. Not make them become the person that I want them to be or that society wants them to be or even a, not even a well-balanced person, but help them build on their strength and what they want to become. Mm. You should be a coach someday. You're amazing. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So as you stand here in your superpower now of leadership and your purpose of helping others, what's next? I would say what's next for me is becoming, becoming a nurse and really helping people. Yeah. In any aspect of my life, whether it's volunteer or becoming a nurse, or if I can help someone beyond their circumstances, then I'm like truly happy. It's like, it's beyond just uh, explainable, you know, blissful moment. It's just like, it's like true happiness, you know, because not everybody has like, I've done it for myself. <laughs> so if I can do it for someone else and be that helping hand from the smallest thing, whether it's asking you how your day was, or 
um, actually coaching someone through a goal or something like that, then I'm happy. So what's next for me is becoming a nurse, but along the way, helping others become whatever it is that they want to become. Mm. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today after work. I'm so happy that I could spend an hour of my time here with you talking. This conversation has been so inspiring and just, you know, enlightening. It's right back at you. It has been so inspiring for me as well. I'm going to pull, yes. I really do. I love what you're doing here. And I can't believe that you didn't know that all those years ago that you had this in you like you've been doing the you've been doing this for years since I was in an 11th grade 17 year old girl you've been this source of inspiration and just you've been a coach it's been in you all along you are correct I think I did a little bit of coaching uh, alongside of the teaching it was I think it's for me it's what teaching should be and when I get to turn the education world upside down, this is what teaching should look like. I love that you, everything you just said, like that's what I'm doing. So helping people see their strengths, focusing on the strengths, um, strategize the weaknesses all you want, but focusing on your strengths and really building into people and building them up. Yeah, that's what it's all about. I'm glad that you can do what you really love in a different capacity. And I can see that it is, uh, it truly has you glowing. <laughs> the best. All right, let me pull my stack of cards that I'm not prepared for. <laughs> that also hasn't changed, so it's totally fine. I have this list. Powerful questions, seven words or less. So I'm going to pull a card. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Oh, I love this. What matters to you most? What matters most to you? Family. One word. Family. Whether it's uh, your biological family or it's the family you created. Family. Thank you so much for joining us. Any last words you have? Uh, No, thank you for having me.